You're listening to Food Psych, a podcast about nutrition, eating disorders, and body image. I'm your host, Christy Harrison, and I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist and certified intuitive eating counselor specializing in health at every size. Join me as I talk with interesting people from all walks of life about their relationships to food. Hey guys, welcome to episode 75. My guest today is Melissa Toller, a fellow weight neutral and non-diet wellness professional. She is a coach who doesn't sell weight loss ever. She helps people make peace with food from a totally weight neutral and size accepting perspective and just has such a great story and a great stance on all of this stuff. And I can't wait to share that with you guys. And this is sort of the third in a three-episode arc or what's become a three-episode arc about the ethics of health and wellness and nutrition practice and why it's so important that we as health and wellness professionals not sell weight loss and not try to straddle the line between weight loss and health at every size or weight loss and intuitive eating. So you heard Evelyn Triboli talk about why intuitive eating should never be used as a weight loss diet and the problems with people sort of spinning it into a weight loss method. And then you heard Isabel Fox and Duke last week. And I really, I sort of got ranty on that episode two talking about why it's sort of pseudoscience at this point for anyone to recommend weight loss. And now we're going to hear from Melissa Toller about how she runs her business and sort of the practicalities of having transitioned from selling weight loss to not selling weight loss and what that means financially and business-wise and also ethically what that means and why it's so important to her. So I'm really excited to share this. And I think these are super important conversations and they seem to really be resonating with people. One of the quotes from Evelyn's episode actually went viral and got shared like hundreds of times by different health and wellness professionals, which was super cool. And that was her quote where she said, at this point with the research we have, it's not ethical to recommend weight loss. And I think that's such an important message for all health and wellness providers to hear and also for people who are going to health and wellness providers to hear. Because if you're someone who's in a larger body To go to a professional and have them say, okay, you need to lose weight to fix this health condition, at this point just doesn't have any science backing it up. So it can certainly be triggering and sort of make you question the whole enterprise of trying to accept your body and approach health at every size. If you hear a professional telling you you should lose weight, but I think these episodes can give you some really helpful pushback, at least even if you're not arguing with a professional in that setting, at least you can know that there are health and wellness professionals out there who disagree and who are firmly planted in the science and can express why it is so unethical at this point for health and wellness providers to be recommending weight loss. So we're going to get into all of that with Melissa Toller in just a minute. But before we do, I just want to share a couple of resources to help you guys make peace with food. The first is my free quiz to assess if you have a healthy relationship with food. I'll send you your results via email along with more than a dozen individualized tips to help you wherever you are in your journey, wherever you may fall in the spectrum from disordered eating to fully intuitively eating because we're all probably somewhere along that spectrum, right? So you can take the quiz and get your results today at Christy Harris com slash quiz. That's christyharrison.com slash quiz. 
The second resource I want to share is my intuitive eating online course, which is a 13-week course to help you make peace with food, learn to trust your body, and learn to really become an intuitive eater and use your hunger and fullness cues, as well as satisfaction and pleasure to guide you in making your food choices. Learn more about the course and sign up at christyharrison.com slash course. That's christyharrison.com slash course. And finally, if you like the podcast and want to help us reach more people, you can leave a positive rating and review on iTunes. Those reviews are so important because they help bring us up in the ratings, which helps more people find us and get exposed to these body positive messages. And actually, on the subject of ratings, this is some exciting news that I just discovered recently. A friend just sent me a screenshot of the ratings for the health podcasts. And I want to preface this by saying that I know I just ranted in the last episode with Isabel Fox and Duke about how numbers really don't mean anything and obsessing about numbers can kind of take you away from the things that really matter in life. And I definitely believe that's true. However, this particular number really made my day because of the greater significance that it has. So it's not about the number, but the screenshot that my friend sent me was of us at number 36 in the rankings of all health podcasts. And that's kind of a big deal because there are thousands of health podcasts out there, and there are many, the vast majority of those really are diet-based podcasts, you know, podcasts that are steeped in the diet mentality. But it was super exciting to see that when people are just going to look for general health podcasts, Food psych comes up pretty high and the ratings change from day to day. So I think now we're like still in the top 50 somewhere, but not at 36. I think that might have been a high point because it was a day an episode came out. So again, not getting hung up on the numbers. But what it means is that more and more people are hearing these body positive messages and responding to them and resonating with them by downloading episodes, by subscribing, by sharing with friends and by leaving nice ratings and reviews. So this message is getting out there and it's rising in the rankings and competing with some of the biggest names in fitness and nutrition that are steeped in the diet mentality. And so that's why I do kind of care about that number or those numbers. And that's why I think you guys can be so helpful and you already have been so helpful. And I'm so grateful to everyone who has listened and subscribed and given us a great rating and review that has brought us to this point already in the rankings. That is amazing to me and makes me feel so good. So if you want to contribute and help me rise up even further in the rankings and beat out some of these paleo dudes that are ahead of me, because really it's mostly paleo dudes, quite honestly. Go to iTunes from either your phone or your computer, or actually it's the podcast app on your phone, and then type in Food Psych to the search bar, click on the result that comes up under podcasts, and then click on the ratings and reviews tab, and you can leave a nice rating and review there. And the more five-star reviews we get, the higher we rise in the rankings, along with subscribers and downloads we get. So if you want to share this podcast with other people that you think would benefit from it, every subscription, every review, every share that you make of this podcast helps us get the word out there even more about body positivity and health at every size and intuitive eating and these messages that people need to hear and that people are really starting to hear in the general health community. And it excites me so much to think about the possibility that one day Food Psych and my fellow body positive podcasts will be at the top of the list in health and all those paleo dudes talking about burning fat will have fallen off the map because no one will think that's important anymore. So thanks so much to you guys for your support in helping us get here. And I'm so grateful for all the nice ratings and reviews that you've left so far.
And now, without any further ado, let's go talk to Melissa Toller. I spoke with her via Skype from her home in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Tell me about your relationship with food growing up. Wow. So food was, it was a big part of our family. My mother was and is still a really good cook. And we just had a lot of celebrations around food. And, you know, when I was younger, I just remember food being a source of fun and pleasure and connection. We had big feasts on Thanksgiving and Christmas and Easter and whatever other (laughs) reason there could be to eat. (laughs) Sunday dinner was a big deal in our house. My mother would make It was kind of ridiculous sometimes, but she would make these big feasts on many Sundays. So growing up, food was awesome. I mean, it was Friday nights, we would go out to dinner. Saturday, we'd probably be at the mall and go out to dinner. And then Sunday, we'd have (laughs) the feast. Mm. So food, food was fun for me growing up, always. Yeah, that sounds really nice. It was. So you have a sort of an early good relationship with food, it sounds like. Absolutely. Absolutely. And was there any sort of health talk or diet talk or anything going on in your family or was that pretty much off the table? You know, it's interesting because I recently wrote something about mothers and daughters and diet talk. Mm -hmm. And while I don't recall my mother making overt comments to my sister or to me, about what we should or shouldn't be eating and how our bodies are supposed to look or not look. I did see her trying to lose weight. Like she would go to Weight Watchers or she would be on the stationary bike in our basement. So she sort of yo-yoed up and down. So I do recall that, but there wasn't any, you know, be careful or you will get fat. There wasn't any of that. Yeah, so it didn't get it wasn't a message that got translated to you, but you saw it modeled. Yes, absolutely. I think that's so interesting because that was my experience too. My mom never overtly said anything about my body or my sister's body, but she was always trying to lose weight. And I think that sort of worked its way in there in my mind once I became an adult that was sort of waiting for me, you know, like, oh, this is how an adult woman manages her body, <laughs> you know. Yes, you learn. You learn that this is just what we do mm-hmm. as women, right? And so you get that lesson and then you go out into the world and you hear stuff from school and it's on magazines and on TV. And so that little nugget is then reinforced by everything outside. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, this is this is just what it means to be a woman. This is what I have to do forever. <laughs> right. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's so insidious. Yeah. So did you get those messages from peers at school or sort of the culture as you got older? Oh, absolutely. I was a big reader of Seventeen magazine. So oh, I was yes. in like the 80s, 90s. So I was like addicted to Seventeen magazine. Me too. And- <laughs> And it was just, I don't recall any direct, you need to lose weight messages, but just when you look through, everyone is thin and beautiful and everyone met up to the ideal beauty standard. So Mm -hmm. of course, 
I would try to do the same. And then, you know, the other thing with regard to magazines, my mother subscribed to like Red Book and Women's Day. And there was always, always a story about how to lose a big, huge amount of weight in a short period of time. Always. So it was just everywhere. I know. It's crazy, those little messages that you get, even if nobody's telling you directly, you should do this. It's like, well, this is clearly what people want to do around you. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, you, you don't really realize how insidious it is mm-hmm. until you sort of take a step back. Because you have to kind of look, look at it from the outside because we're so on the inside of it, it feels normal. You know, it's, you've heard the saying, it's like asking a fish to describe what it feels like to be wet. You know, like <laughs> you don't even, you don't know. Right. This is it. (laughs) Yeah, this is how it is. Exactly. It's normal. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Did you start dieting or sort of falling into line with that diet culture basically at some point in your childhood or adolescence? Yeah. So I think I can recall the moment that I realized that my body was a problem and I needed to do something about it. And it was around the time it was when I was in seventh grade and it was that summer beforehand, I'd gotten my period and I was going to a new school and it was middle school. So middle school is mm. just awful yeah. in and of itself. <laughs> and then here I come as like an outsider and everyone else in the class had known each other since first grade. And so, you know, I was subjected to a lot of teasing and mm. puberty. Just It was just the like perfect storm of stuff. And that's when I realized, okay, there's, I, there's something I need to do about my body because it's wrong. Mm. And the 17 magazine didn't help things. So it was at that point where, you know, I was exercising a lot and just being cautious about what I ate. And as I got older, it just got worse. Yeah. That's so interesting that the desire to change your body often sets in around puberty when women tend to gain weight necessarily to be able to have a period and to be able to go through natural development. You know, it's like, it's interesting that that sort of gets a hold of us then. And you know what's interesting? No one tells you that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No one gives you that little nugget of information. At least I didn't get it. And I honestly didn't really realize this until much later in life that this is just a thing that happens. I don't have daughters, but I have two nieces who are really young. And I think it's an important thing for little girls to know because that's the time where you're in middle school, going to high school. You have all of these things happening at the same time that introduce and then reinforce the idea that something is wrong with your body. And now your primary goal in life is to fix it. That's a great point. I think that's part of the reason I often draw out that sort of observation on on the podcast too is because I'm like, people should know that it's just normal for women to gain weight in puberty, you know, and yet so many of us have had this experience in the past of of feeling bad about our bodies then. And it's yeah. like, why do we do that to ourselves? I remember in puberty, you know, have it, or like in seventh grade or whatever, having the health class talk where it was like, 
my body is changing. Like what changes are going to happen, you know? And it was like, women will get breasts and get their period and everybody gets pubic hair and like grows hair in places it wasn't before. But there was never any talk of like, you will gain weight as a natural thing, which I don't know why that's not included in the, the standard talks, or maybe it is at some places. I don't know. But I think it would be helpful if that was just part of the drill, you know? Yeah, it's kind of like how they say boys will get taller. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's just a factual, there's evidence to back it up. Mm -hmm. Keeping it neutral and not in a be cautious type of way. Now you got to really look out about what you're eating and what you're doing because you're going to, you know, not in that way, but just this is a part of growing up into being a woman, period. Yeah. Exactly. And it's necessary. Like it's important. Necessary. It's essential for the, for the whole process to happen. Yes. Oh, if only we could go back in time and tell ourselves that, you know? <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, but also like change diet culture so that that wasn't there too. Because I feel like if I heard at the time, I might have been able to be influenced out of any efforts to lose weight later on. But I don't know. Once I was fully steeped in diet culture and trying to lose weight, if someone had told me like, no, it's actually natural that you're at this weight or that you are have these curves and if you get rid of them, you'll lose your period and you'll stop having normal hormonal function, I probably would have been like, eh, that's bullshit. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Because you are bombarded with images of girls and women showing you otherwise, but mm. then you don't know exactly what's being done to to get that way. You know, some people are naturally very thin and some people go to extreme measures to do so. Right. And like most people in magazines now are photoshopped. Oh, God. You know, beyond belief. <laughs> like Yes. Yes. So it's not really reflecting reality. And yet we we internalize that as though it's reality. Absolutely. Especially younger kids. Yeah. So you said that was sort of like seventh grade was like the experimentation with just light restriction, more exercise. Yes. And where did it go from there? I think it just through high school. I really remember in 12th grade, I was just a yo-yo dieter, just up and down, up and down. In 12th grade, I remember losing a lot of weight and then going to college (laughs) and Mm. gaining it in the first semester and then losing it. Like it just was all over the place. And I felt like now looking back, I spent a lot of time going up and down and worrying about how thin I needed to be. You know, and and then after getting after becoming exhausted from that whole thing, just totally saying, screw it, I'm just going to eat whatever I want. And then just that whole cycle for like 20 years. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So did you try every diet on the planet then? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Atkins. I've never done South Beach officially. Like I never had the book, Mm -hmm. but had enough people around me <laughs> doing it that I could just pick up on theirs. And I remember doing the Atkins diet in the late 90s and feeling terrible. Honestly, like I had zero energy. Mm-hmm. And there were people around me at work who were doing it and talking about how much energy they had and how much weight they lost. And I had lost weight, but I felt awful. I couldn't exercise. I was like sneaking packets of Splenda because I wanted something sweet. 
So I've done, I've done it all. And it sounds like you're through it, your body sort of had an awareness or you had an awareness of how your body felt. And yet something kind of kept you going back for more with the diets. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's our intense fear of mm-hmm. fatness, right? It's our cultural fat phobia. It's the myth that being thin and now being super fit looking is better. It's the thing that you are supposed to be striving for. It's that. Mm-hmm. It's even, and it's it's also diet culture teaches us to not listen to our bodies. So even though, I, I mean, I can remember walking on the treadmill when I was doing my Atkins diet and feeling like I can't even go above three miles an hour. Mm. <laughs> but I, it, didn't, it didn't strike me as something was wrong and maybe I shouldn't do this, right? It just was like, okay, well, this is just part of it and maybe it'll get better or maybe I'm doing it wrong because Karen at work said that she has all this energy. <laughs> right. <laughs> it makes you question your own intuition. It makes you go against trusting yourself. Absolutely. And restoring that trust is a big part of getting past this whole thing. Yeah, I think the idea of questioning yourself and thinking, well, maybe I'm doing it wrong <laughs> is so central to diet culture, like into the diet industry. It's why the diet industry still exists, you know? Oh, absolutely. It tells you you don't know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You need to pay someone else to to tell you what to eat, how much, how long you're supposed to eat it for. Mm. You don't know anything about yourself, woman. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's true. There's this like whole mythology built around us being unable to be in charge of our own bodies. Yeah. It just is so absurd. It really is. It is. And yeah, we're born with very finely calibrated ability to be in charge of our own bodies. Our bodies really tell us what they want, what they need, and take care of us. Mm-hmm. And diet culture just strips that away. And you know, the biggest, it's like a big scam swindle. I don't know what the word is, but yes, diet culture tells you you can't trust yourself or your body, right? Mm-hmm. And then the more you partake in it, the truer that becomes, right? Mm-hmm. It's like this vicious cycle of, all right, I'm in diet culture I, because I don't know what to eat, how to eat, because I can't trust myself, because I, I'll totally go off the rails. And the more you diet, the more and the more you restrict, of course, the more food will be, the, your your off-limit foods will become more tempting. And so it may lead you to binge, which means, see, I can't trust myself. Now I need another diet. Then the binge part comes. See, I can't trust my and like it just goes mm. on, <laughs> right? Yep. That was my experience, at least. Oh my god, me too. Yeah, yeah. It's it does really reinforce it. That's such a good point. That it's the binge restrict cycle basically keeps yes. you coming back for more. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so how did that sort of play out for you? Like, what was the moment, or did you have multiple sort of? insights where you were like, maybe I should stop doing this. Ironically, I didn't have like a a revelation. Like there was no one moment, but it was so five years ago, back in 2011, I started to train for fitness competitions, right? (laughs) I know. And of course, my primary reason was because I thought it would be a quick way for me to lose weight. But it turned out I enjoyed 
the performance part of it, getting on stage. And Mm -hmm. that was also one of, that was another reason that I wanted to do it. And I, I did enjoy that part. But it was during that time that I was just like, and I will say, I didn't have a horrific experience. I know not everyone's experience is positive. Some people just have really terrible experiences with fitness competitions. And mine wasn't. But it was during this time when I realized I've spent so much time trying to perfect my body, eating the right thing and doing the right amount of exercise. And here's the the truth. Like even when I was at my thinnest and I had visible abs and all that stuff, life wasn't automatically better, right? You know, that's Mm -hmm. also the promise of diet culture that when you become thin, I don't know, like there's like a pot of gold waiting for you. Yeah. And I never saw it. Like it just was not, life wasn't this all of a sudden magical thing. And, and yeah, I got a lot of attention and compliments and all that stuff, but I still had problems like a regular human being. Mm -hmm. And it was just during that whole five year process that I realized so many women spend so much time and energy chasing either a number on a scale or a certain size or a look. And we miss out on so much of our lives. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And I wanted to help other women come out of that vicious cycle. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it really dawned on you when you sort of put the focus on how your body looked to the max, basically. Oh, yeah. That this wasn't satisfying. Yeah. And the other thing was when you're on stage, (laughs) you're supposed to be representing the perfect picture of health, but you're not. Like you're thirsty as hell. (laughs) You haven't really eaten a whole lot in the last few days. You're tired. You have a Charlie horse because you haven't had enough water. Like it's Mm. just, you know, and it's the thing that people on the outside look at as, oh my God, that's what I want. And when you're on the inside, it's really not that awesome. Right. Yeah. You look fit. And I love that you said earlier too, the look now is like, you're supposed to look as though you're fit. But the reality is that people usually aren't healthy at that point. And Mm -hmm. this sort of external fitness, it's like, what is fitness even if it's just about having big muscles and being so dehydrated that they show, you know, <laughs> like that's not actually total fitness, I would say, you no, know, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah. What a crazy world that is. Yeah, totally. Totally. Did you then sort of go off the diet prescribed by the fitness world and kind of make a break with that? Or did you have a slow transition out of it? So my last show was in 2014, and I've pretty much been doing intuitive eating, even before I knew what intuitive eating was, Mm -hmm. since then. And I'm much more in tuned with my body and what food I like and what what foods make me feel good. It's just been like two years of experimentation, Mm -hmm. right? And, And I tell people it's not... The process of breaking up with diet mentality doesn't happen overnight. It's not easy. It's not a linear process by any means. Mm -mm. It requires a lot of patience and self-compassion and support, like community support. Honestly, one of the things that has helped me 
tremendously is number one, writing about this. You know, I have a blog and I've written a lot about this Two, coaching and teaching women around this topic has also helped me. But being part of a community, primarily online communities of people who are advocates of health at every size, intuitive eating, fat acceptance, and listening to podcasts like yours, where you are exposed to voices that are countercultural, for lack of a better term, right? Mm -hmm. Where you're exposed to people who are sharing their experience and giving some hope that yes, like being on the other side of this is a great thing and it is possible. Yeah. Yeah, to see a different model, basically, of what it means to be a woman in this world, or yes. really a person in this world. You know, yes, like absolutely. Pretty freeing. Yeah, because, you know, it's a big risk, right? It's a risk to give up dieting. As sucky as it is, as exhausting as it is, as expensive as it can be, it's a risk. Mm -hmm. Because what if you give it up and you... <laughs> gain weight, which is the worst thing that could possibly happen, according <laughs> to our culture. Right. Like, it's a scary thing. And so a lot of women aren't ready or willing right now to take that leap. And so sometimes seeing other people, seeing evidence in other people that you've come to know and trust can help you move forward in your own journey, mm -hmm. right? Because Absolutely. it is, a, it's a risk. It is a, it, it feels very scary. I think that's such a good point too. And one that maybe people don't necessarily realize when they undertake it or consciously understand. It's like, that's what stands in the way of taking the first step sometimes is that it feels like just jumping off a cliff. Yes. It really is a huge risk in this culture. Yes. And if you don't have the community support, it can feel like you're just, and even when you do have the community support, really, it can feel like you're swimming upstream, you know, because oh, of all yeah. the diet culture messages you get in daily life and the people around you. And I think it takes a lot of sort of bolstering of these messages and bolstering of your community to get comfortable going against the grain like that. Absolutely. Just think about how embedded diet culture is in our lives. Like it's everywhere. It's at work where everybody's doing a weight loss challenge. Mm -hmm. It's in magazines. It's on Instagram. It's on Facebook. It's presidential candidates are oh, body shaming people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like it's, it's everywhere. It's everywhere. So it's hard to imagine not being in the thick of that. It's hard to go to work and everybody's doing their weight loss challenge. And here you are not participating and people are commenting, well, what are you doing? How are you? You know, it just, yeah. it's, it can be difficult to imagine life with that. And then so, you, people in your family. Oh God. Mm. Yeah. How was that for you when you started to make this transition? Fortunately for me, it's been very positive. I just have some friends and I've had clients who have, <laughs> toxic relationships with other people in their family, like mothers or sisters, or even fathers where the relationship, well, specifically, I'm thinking about a few people who have had relationships with their mothers, where a big part of that relationship was centered around losing weight mm -hmm. and dieting. So moms and daughters would do different diets 
together or they talk about losing weight. And so when you start to remove yourself from that, it changes the relationship, which can be scary. Yeah, absolutely. I had a similar, I mean, thankfully my mom and I didn't have that relationship for my childhood or for very much of my life at all. But there was a moment when I started, when I basically developed my eating disorder, but it was under the guise of, oh, I'm just losing some weight and getting healthier. And my mom was both concerned about me because I had lost my period and I just, I looked different. I didn't look sick or skeletal or anything like that, but I just looked thinner and she was worried about the health problems I was having and sort of connected it to the fact that I had lost weight. But she also was like, what's your secret? You look great. Like, what can I do? (laughs) And we would diet together and eat these very restrictive meals together and talk about calories and this and that. It's really hard, I think, even for someone who really cares about someone and wants to watch out for their health to also see them in a smaller body and not covet that in the culture that we're in, to not be like, oh, yeah, let me get in on that. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because we celebrate weight loss. I mean, we just do. Mm-hmm. Like it's we we truly celebrate it. And of course, that just reinforces the idea that being fat is the worst thing you could ever be, mm-hmm. right? If you see thinness or smallness being celebrated and rewarded and revered, I mean, what else are you going to do? You're going to try to to get that too. Of course. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really hard to break away from it in the culture we live in. It is. Oh, yeah. And I think the the community aspect is so helpful. Did you find particular people sort of introduced you to these ideas? Because you said you, stu- you basically stumbled into intuitive eating like through your own intuition, which is so cool. <laughs> but then did you end up sort of reading about it or discovering the health at every size movement first? Or how did that come to you? Yeah, you know, I can't remember who I stuck like the series of events. Mm-hmm. But I had heard about health at every size probably like two years ago. I never read the book and stumbled upon intuitive eating maybe a year ago. I have the book, I've read it, I've incorporated it into the work that I do with clients. Mm-hmm. I just kind of found people. So Isabel Fox and Duke is a person that I had stumbled upon. You know how you just get like in an internet <laughs> yep. text and you just keep clicking around trying to avoid whatever you're really supposed to be doing? Yep. <laughs> so that's how I just have found different people. Mm-hmm. Virgie Tovar, eventually, I think I stumbled upon her in the last year or so. Mm-hmm. So I feel like now, at least my internet world is filled with health at every size, intuitive eating, and fat acceptance, folks, which is, it's a weird, (laughs) it's a weird space, right? Because it's so different than Mm -hmm. I think what the rest of the world is in. So when I stumble upon an ad for some ridiculous tea talks, (laughs) and I see 2000 comments, and like, 1,999 of them are like, how can I get this? I just ordered this. How come it's not here? Mm. I'm just like, what? Do you know what I'm saying? (laughs) (laughs) I realize this is not to say that I'm so spectacular and so enlightened because I'm not. I just immersed myself into a countercultural radical world, which 
Sidebar, isn't it outrageous that we consider listening to our own bodies and eating for pleasure and moving for pleasure countercultural? Yes. Oh, my God. Because that is something that we are born knowing how to do and that everybody really can do. Yes. Everybody can get back to that even if they're not there right now. You know, it's not like this foreign thing. You don't have to go out and get a million piercings and tattoos to like be a part of it. You know, just (laughs) (laughs) you don't have to shave your head unless you want to. Like it's oh, don't get me started. Yeah, Yeah, the fact that this is so countercultural is pretty crazy. And I hope that that's going to be something that changes over the next however many years. I really hope that in 100 years, people will look back on this time in history or the sort of all of diet culture, which is you know dating back to the 1800s or whatever, yeah. and just be like, well, that was weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> But here's the thing, though, Christy. There's a lot of money to be made mm-hmm. telling people they can't trust themselves, right? There's We're at like 60-some billion dollars that gets pumped into the diet and weight loss industry in various forms. Yeah. So people make money telling other people you need to lose weight. And here's my thing. So buy it and I will help you. Yeah, that is true. And actually, that is a good segue into career stuff because I've read a little bit about your career transition. And I'm so curious to hear your story of that how you first became a health coach and started working with people and then how that morphed as you got more steeped in this intuitive eating and health at every size world. Sure. So I am also a pharmacist. So I am still a licensed pharmacist. I spent 15 years in corporate America and pharmaceutical industry. Mm. It's a great career. It just, I knew it wasn't the thing that I wanted to do forever. It didn't light me up, although it was Mm. great. I met great friends, made great money, all that stuff. During the time where I was in fitness competitions, I'd started a blog and wanted to help people. I mean, that's very nebulous, but I wanted to help people. And I think at the time I wanted to help people lose weight because that's what people were asking me about. Mm -hmm. Oh, how did you do it? And I really enjoyed writing a blog. I didn't know how I was going to make money from it. I didn't want to be a personal trainer because I just did not want to watch other people exercise. <laughs> as much as I like exercising, I, <laughs> I want to do it. I don't want to watch it. Mm-hmm. And so a friend of mine said that she had gone and gotten a wellness coaching certification. So I was like, oh, okay, this is cool because I like talking to people. I, I like the idea of coaching and teaching and helping people discover things about themselves. And so I did a wellness coaching certification through a company called Well Coaches. And it was it was great. Yeah, I've heard good things. Yeah, got certified back in 2013. And a few months after that, I quit my job and started my coaching practice full time. Wow. October 4th, 2013 was my last day with my company. Mm. And it's hard as any person who leaves the corporate world to go out on their own knows it's difficult, right? You don't have a steady paycheck coming in, any perks or bonuses that you have had are all up to you to figure out how to get. (laughs) It's all all on you. Mm -hmm. It was something that I really felt strongly about and wanted to do. So even though I've been out of the corporate world for three years, my message 
has changed, not drastically, but slightly. You know, Mm -hmm. in the beginning, I did sell weight loss. I didn't do it overtly, but it was still kind of on the table if you came to work with me. And a lot of people who came to work with me wanted to lose weight, but we would never, you know, it wasn't the focus of our work, Mm -hmm. right? It wasn't, okay, tell me how many pounds you want to lose and then we'll just go from there. It was not like that. And over time, as I became more educated about health at every size and intuitive eating, I stopped selling weight loss. Mm -hmm. So I recently wrote a post about that and it said why I stopped selling weight loss. And I don't want to sell weight loss anymore because number one, there are tons of people who are currently doing it, Mm -hmm. whether they're qualified or not. And I just, I want to offer an alternative. I have nothing against people wanting to do whatever they want with their bodies. I have nothing against that. I'm not going to tell you what you should or shouldn't do. My goal is to bring forth knowledge about the culture that we live in. I want to highlight the toxic messages that make us believe that wanting to lose weight is our true desire. Mm. When it may not be, right? Right. Some of these desires to be thin or fit or look a certain way aren't ours. They've been planted in in our heads. So I want to offer discovery of who you are as a person because I know for me and for a lot of women, that gets lost. What is it that you really want in this life? Yeah. And if you've spent a lot of time trying to lose weight and looking for the next diet that's going to make you lose the weight you want to lose, who you are can get lost in that because you haven't connected with yourself and with your body. Yeah, it buries your intuition about totally. not only food and your body, but just kind of everything. Yeah. And then just logistically, if you're spending <laughs> if you're spending a lot of time and emotional energy worried about gaining weight, worried about losing weight, worried about what you're going to eat today, worried about what you ate yesterday and how you're going to burn it off today. How can you really have time to do the things that you want to do in life, right? Right. And especially if you think that you have to wait to be smaller to do them. Yes. Such a good point. That sort of put it on hold until you're thin mentality if you really follow that, you could go through your whole life putting things off. Yes. And sadly, a lot of women have. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always reference the beauty myth, Naomi Wolf's book, Mm -hmm. Dieting is Such a Potent Political Sedative. It really, Mm. it robs women and really people in general of our power because there is so much to be gained if we can just sit with ourselves and not obsess over numbers and weight and size and the happiness we think that's going to bring. It's uncomfortable. I think that's part of what makes dieting so easy is it's uncomfortable for so many reasons, like what we talked about with the sort of countercultural element of it. But I think it's also sort of uncomfortable to sit with yourself and not have something to totally occupy your mind and to be like, who am I and what do I want? You know, mm-hmm. what, how do I actually want to be filling my time and my mind and not feeling like you're doing what you should be doing, but truly honoring what you actually want to be doing? Yes, yes. And you know, a few, t- I do a thing called a five day mental detox a few times a year. Mm. And 
one of the questions, and I do have a Facebook group, and one of the questions is along the lines, because every day we have a, you know, a, a prompt, a journal prompt, and one of the questions is, what would you be doing with your life if you weren't constantly trying to lose weight? And something along those mm. lines. And I've had so many women say, I don't even know what that is. I don't know what that is. And I don't know how to go about exploring it. Mm -hmm. And these are women who are in their 40s and 50s, not knowing because they've spent decades focused on trying to shrink their bodies. And I also want to make a point, And I, you know, I'm sure your listeners know this, but I always like to say, it's not the fault of these women, right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes a lot of the ditch the diet messages can continue to point the finger at the woman, right? It's like, you are doing something wrong. Who told you that you, like, you need Mm -hmm. to stop dieting (laughs) as if something is wrong with you. Our weight obsession is not a character flaw. It's a result of lifelong participation in diet culture. That's why it's so important to highlight the cultural element of yes. this, right? Yeah. Because, because otherwise, then it's just another thing that you're doing wrong, right? Yeah, that's such a good point. I, I love that. And I think it's so important to have that compassionate message in there too. You're not doing something wrong. You're not broken. This is actually so normal in our culture that women would follow this path that's been blazed by generations before us. Like it's, yes. it's just what we do with, unless we sort of, you know, stop and question it. It's, it's such an easy path to go down. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it fills that emotional void as well of not knowing what you're going to do and not really being in touch with who you are and being kind of afraid of that. I so remember that. I, for sure went through that myself where I had started eating intuitively. I was still having negative thoughts about my body, but I was just trying to push forward and just sort of recover. And Mm. it was uncomfortable and it was, there were boring moments and there was lonely moments and there was a lot of just like inner struggle of what do I really want to be doing with myself? And I was Mm. working at the time at the city department of health, which was a wonderful job in so many ways. And I, I made good friends and I had a lot of interesting stuff to do. But there was also a lot of just like sitting at my desk and crunching numbers, you know, and looking at how to redesign a menu with better profile of nutrients and stuff like that. So there are certainly some elements that could have been triggering disordered eating in me, which surprisingly they weren't. I think that was a testament to how far I already had come in recovery. But I just, you know, was sitting for hours sometimes, like looking at spreadsheets or researching scientific articles and feeling so lonely and empty and kind of like, this isn't what I want to be doing with my life or my time or like, mm-hmm. what is my purpose on this planet? You know, sometimes it would go to this really existential level because I was like, I'm just so bored with this and I don't, I think this is like a good thing to be doing. This is a good job and yet I'm not happy. Like, what's going on? Out of that actually came my obsessive listening to podcasts because I (laughs) wanted to like (laughs) feel connected to something larger than myself. And I got really into a lot of comedy podcasts where they're not really actually funny. It's comedians talking about their (laughs) secret shame and their like (laughs) innermost beliefs and desires. And so that helped me feel 
kind of connected to something larger. And then out of that came the idea to do my own podcast. And out of that came the idea to do more coaching and and stuff specifically around people's relationships with food. It was like step by step, I actually built this life that now I really value and cherish and feels like this is what I'm meant to be doing. Mm, But that mm. wouldn't have happened without that discomfort and without letting go of dieting and all the space it took up in my brain. Oh, yeah. Just letting myself be kind of bored and frustrated and questioning for like a while. (laughs) So I sort of think back on that and I'm like, oh, God, that was so hard, but also so valuable to go through that. And I think a lot of women, we get indoctrinated in diet culture so early that we don't do that process, you know, that we could be doing in adolescence of like Mm -hmm. teen angst and figuring it out and sort of what do you really want out of life? And, you know, those, those sorts of deeper questions. I think we, I mean, many of us do ask ourselves those questions too, but it, it gets glossed over a little bit when you're distracting yourself through dieting or obsessing about your body. Yeah, absolutely. Because in a sense, dieting and trying to lose weight all the time can give you a sense of purpose, right? Mm -hmm. You've got a goal and you're going to start on Monday and you're just following all the rules. And it's like, this is my thing. And then some of us who turn that obsession into a career path, that happens a lot. So it, it, it makes you feel like you have some purpose, but you're right. We become so indoctrinated in it at such an early age that the natural process of being disappointed and being uncertain gets glossed over, mm-hmm. right? And and not always being in control and just like kind of surrendering to some things and mm-hmm. uh, discovering stuff about yourself that we just don't really go through that process because like you, I didn't really do that until the last few, <laughs> few yeah. years. And I'm almost 42. Yeah. <laughs> I know it's it can take so long in that culture sort of cycle to actually come out of it and break free. But also it's so cool to see that people of all ages can can break free too. Like you can change your career even when you're really far into it. You've built up something that you have worked really hard on. It's like if that's not fulfilling you and you have the capacity to change directions and even make small steps in in changing, like starting a blog for you. It's like, that is something, you know, that's, you can absolutely do that. I definitely have some listeners who are dietitians or coaches or whatever, who've staked their brand on weight loss, or at least in part on the sort of traditional approach to health. And sometimes they'll write in and be like, oh my God, I feel like, you know, listening to your podcast has made me realize that my career is not really helping people. It's actually hurting. Mm-hmm. And they're in so much pain to recognize that, you know? And I think it's an important step to recognize that, but it's also really important to have self-compassion in that process because just like it's so normal for women to fall down this path of diet culture, it's also so normal when you do, when you are obsessed with food and exercise and everything else, to be drawn to a career in that. Like, that's how I got here, you know? Was, oh, yeah. Of yep. course. <laughs> like, yeah, you just, you know, you channel what you're interested in. And so yes. it's so normal when you begin a career like that to be doing weight loss because that's, again, what's considered the normal 
approach. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's okay also to go through that and to be like, oh my God, what I've been doing maybe hasn't been helping people. And I've wanted to help people and I've been teaching this thing that actually might be perpetuating a negative cycle. That's painful, but also that's part of the awakening. Oh, yes. And it is an awakening. Mm -hmm. It is like waking up from a very deep sleep, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like, and you like, (laughs) you rub your eyes and now you can see clearly. Yeah. Yeah. Awakening is the perfect, perfect, perfect word for it. Yeah. Because it's really, I mean, you can easily build a career that is falling into line with diet culture and make a lot of money and be feeling like you're helping people and to kind of step outside of that too and step outside of the edifice that maybe you've built of you're the authority and you've got people coming to you because you seem to have the answers and you've made a lot of money doing this. That's all hard to walk away from too, you know, because we all want that kind of security and structure. And especially if you're working for yourself and you're like a coach, it is, I know from experience how uncertain that is sometimes, you know, how like scary it is to be in business for yourself. So to say you're going to switch directions in a way that maybe you're going to make less money is actually kind of a huge risk as well. Oh, it totally is. And the blog post that I wrote about why I stopped selling weight loss, I kind of talk about that. Mm -hmm. I definitely am not making as much money as I did before. And I've received advice from several business coaches that, yeah, it's cool for your message, but why don't you tell them that you're going to help them lose weight? And then when they sign on with you, (laughs) (laughs) the old bait and switch. And I'm just like, no, I'm not going to do that. You don't know how many people have told me that. What women really want is to be smaller. So tell them that. And then when you I'm like, listen, Mm -mm. that's not what I'm going to do. That's not what I'm about. And if I have to do something else to make money in the meantime, I will do that. But I'm not going to jump on this bandwagon of telling you one thing and then doing something else for my own self-interest. I just can't do it. And then the other thing I want to say about this blog post that I wrote. Which I'll link to in the show notes. It was a great one. Yeah. A couple things. It took me months Christy to write that months because mm. I was hesitating. You know, I have a lot of friends on Facebook who sell weight loss. And I was like, what will people think about what I'm saying? I don't want to come across as mean and blah, blah, blah. Mm. But I finally was like, listen, you got to put it out there and just, just do it. So it has been shared so many times. In one day, I got 1,000 unique visitors to my website. Wow. It's been viewed like 2,000 times. And so I'm not telling you that to brag about my numbers. What I'm saying is people want to hear. There are people out there who want this. There are people out there who resonate with this, right? It's mm-hmm. I've captured some of the comments that people made in response to it on Facebook and, and on my blog itself. And it just, it's a refreshing perspective, right? So I think we are heading in the right direction. It will be slow, of course, because we're up against such a behemoth. <laughs> yeah. But there is an audience out there. Absolutely. 
I know that's such a great point too. I mean, getting back to the whole economic realities of it, that's been my experience as well with the podcast as I've refined the message more and more to be health at every size and body positive and like not pull any punches on that and not have anyone on the podcast who's going to sell a message that's contrary to that. I've Mm -hmm. only seen the numbers explode. Mm -hmm. People want this, you know? And I'm making money too, like as an intuitive eating coach and anti-diet dietitian, like people are also coming in the door for that. So it's like, you can actually make a living. You can sustain yourself when you make this change. It might take a while to get there, you know, and like certainly it took a while to get there for me, but I think it's possible and it's only going to become more as this message gets out there and people start thinking like, oh, what's this hashtag body positive thing? Or what's this, (laughs) what's, you know, this idea? Maybe I'll check it out. There's such a need for people doing like what we're doing to to help coach women and people in general through this. So yeah, yes, I think it's a um, frame shift that culture is slowly going through. And maybe the, the cool people on the cutting edge, like everyone listening, <laughs> you know, that's like, that's where it starts. Like yes. so many things, you know, yes. I live in Brooklyn. I've lived in Brooklyn for 12 years. And I remember when I first moved here, people were like, that's weird. Why would you want to live in Brooklyn? And now everybody's like, oh, you live in Brooklyn? That's so cool. You know, <laughs> like it's like the same thing, you know, these trends that happen. I think, I think body positivity is kind of becoming a trend and for that has has positive and negative implications oh, yeah. of course but oh yeah but i think it's at least bringing more eyes to the message yes absolutely yeah we could have a whole conversation about that oh yeah <laughs> the whole yeah the selling of of body positivity yes. that's oh, yeah. that's tricky and that's something that i loved about your post and like your messaging in general is that you don't walk that line you don't pull any punches either like you're upfront about the fact that you're not selling weight loss and you're not getting people in the door that way, which I unfortunately find some intuitive eating coaches, like very well-meaning people who still do that because they think that that's how people are going to get in or they they don't want to have to like own up to the reality like, hey, you might not lose weight. Like this isn't a weight loss method and some people actually gain weight because they needed to. Mm-hmm. That's a hard thing for people to say when you're trying to sell something in this diet culture we live in. So I really appreciate that you don't do that. I know that that takes a lot of integrity and reflection to get there too. Yeah. And well, thank you. And you know, here's the thing. If you are really going to be radical or revolutionary or countercultural, which there are people, you know, hashtag body positiving all about and aren't really... (laughs) You're going to have to say some shit that people will not like, that mm-hmm. people will talk about. Well, pe- people will say you're promoting people being fat, like, you know, you're not promoting health, all of that nonsense. Mm-hmm. So you have to be willing, like any radical movement, you have to be willing to just piss some people off and turn some people away. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten to that point where I'm just like, listen, I, this is what I'm doing. I believe in it. I will not stray from it. So you take it or you leave it. I love that. I love that so much. And I found too that like, I mean, I did also have a time in my business where I was trying to walk the line and I was trying not to say <laughs> directly, like, I will only do health at every size work. You know, I was I was not like specifically coming out and saying that. So I was like, if people came in the door wanting weight loss, I'd be like, all right, well, we can work on your nutrition goals and like, let's see what happens and let's put that on the back burner. But I feel like now I'm really 
much more upfront about it in my messaging and marketing. Like, I Uh don't do that, you know? Uh And Uh again, I've only seen the numbers grow. I've only seen my audience grow. And I think more people are resonating with that. Or even if they do have this idea of like, oh, maybe I'll lose weight, which of course, coming into it, I think a lot of people still do. And that's okay, too. Like, I totally did. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's like that's that's also completely normal and I have a lot of compassion for that. But I think w- even the people who are in that place, when they hear me say like, listen, I only do health at every size, weight loss can still, of course, be in your mind, but that's not what we're going to work on and that's not what I am going to advocate for you or whatever. Like that, they can hear that and mm-hmm. appreciate that. So mm-hmm. I think it's yeah. – It's just a matter of putting your message out there for the people that you want to bring in and just kind of like ignoring the other noise as best you can. (laughs) Yeah, because that's what it is. It's noise. Mm -hmm. And once you are clear about what it is that you do and what you want to bring to the world, I don't let anyone knock me off that path. Yeah. You're listening to your intuition now. You're you're in touch with it. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Well, so tell us where people can find you and learn more about your business. Yes. So I'm at melissatoller.com. I have my blog there. I also have a free audio course called Food Freedom, where I take you through six short lessons. It's based on intuitive eating and it's awesome. You can get that at my website. Oh, I love it. So I'll put links to that in the show notes too, so everybody can find it quickly. Well, thank you so much, Melissa, for being here. It's great talking with you. Thank you for inviting me. This was an awesome conversation. I can't believe we've been talking this long. It feels like we could continue to I know, I know. It totally breezed by. I could talk with you forever. (laughs) So that's our show. Thanks again so much to our guest for being here and to you guys for listening. We'll be back again with another brand new episode. So be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Android or whatever your favorite podcast app is if you haven't done so already. Meanwhile, I'd love to stay in touch with you online. The best way is by email. So if you join my email VIP list, you'll get exclusive tips about intuitive eating and body positivity and updates about all my work as well as new episodes of the podcast. So if you go to christyharrison.com slash email, you can sign up there. That's christyharrison.com slash email. And I would love to have you guys all on my VIP list. And then you can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Food Psych on Facebook and Food Psych Pod on Twitter. I am also on Instagram, just me this time. I don't have a separate account for the podcast, but I'm on Instagram at Christy Harrison, and the first I is a one. The music you're hearing behind me now is by a band called AWOL, and the track is called Food, used under the Creative Commons license. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, stay psyched. Stupid or scared, no work in the kitchen now. Who put you there in that perfect?